Good morning, church. We'll be looking at Daniel chapter 10 in a moment. Perhaps you've heard the story of a burglar who broke into a house one night and he shone his flashlight around looking for valuables. He picked up a beautiful, expensive necklace from the dresser and just as he was about to put it in his sack, a strange disembodied voice echoed from the dark saying, Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. He nearly jumped out of his skin. Berger clicked his flashlight off and froze and he heard nothing more and he shook his head, promised uh, himself a vacation after this big score and then he clicked his flashlight back on. Again, he went around and searched for more valuables and just as he grabbed a laptop to take with him, clear as a bell once again, he heard, Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. And totally rattled, he shone his light around frantically looking for the source of the voice. And finally, in the corner of the room, his flashlight beam came to rest on a parrot. Did you say that? He hissed at the parrot. Yes, the parrot confessed. Then squawked, I'm just trying to warn you. I'm just trying to warn you. The burglar relaxed a bit and said, warn me, huh? Who do you think you are anyway? Moses replied the parrot. <laughs> Moses, the burglar laughed, what kind of crazy people would name a parrot Moses? And the parrot promptly answered, the same kind of people who would name a Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> now the truth is, someone is always watching us. Now that can be either, either unnerving or comforting. When we're doing something we aren't supposed to be doing, we would rather dismiss that truth from our minds. When we're afraid and, and feel all alone, it's reassuring to know that we are in the plain sight of the Almighty God. It's also good to know that while it may seem that evil is winning and people are getting away with it, God sees, God knows and there will be a day when all wrongs will be made right and all evil will be eliminated. While we wait, how are we to live? As we're in this already not yet state and of tension, how are we to live? While we wait, how can we be that bright spot in a dark world? And that's been my approach to our study in the book of Daniel. And so I hope you have your Bibles with me or, or source that gets you there to in turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. As always, I encourage you to follow along in the scriptures with me. So Daniel chapter 10. And if you were here uh, last week, you recall we just came off a very challenging section in Daniel with the last four verses of chapter 9. And in those four verses, we saw how prophecy was grounded in history. And we're going to see more of that as we come to our, our, our final two weeks in our study and the final two chapters in Daniel over the next two weeks, chapters 11 and chapter 12. But before we look at the unfolding of future things in chapters 11 and 12, it's critical that we stop and pause and we understand 
Daniel chapter 10. And you know chapter 10 has often been overlooked, yet it reveals the cosmic struggle going on between good and evil. It has a a Star Wars kind of feel to it with one major exception. This isn't science fiction. This is real. And so chapter 10 is an introduction to chapters 11 and 12. It prepares us for what we're going to read in the next two chapters. And in chapter 10, Daniel is given a rare insight into things that are normally invisible. It's a view from the seen to the unseen, from the natural to the supernatural. It reminds us that while we're kind of just going about our business, doing our thing here on earth, hidden from our view is a God who not only sees it all, but is moving all the parts according to, and, to, and to accomplish his purposes and ends. And Ray Pritchard uh, described chapter 10 of Daniel this way. He said, I believe the best way to picture this chapter is to imagine yourself at a play in a majestic theater. And as you wait for the play to begin, you can hear noise from behind the curtain, and occasionally the curtain itself is jostled by something or someone hidden from your view. Suddenly, the curtain parts for a moment, just for a second, and you can clearly see the action on the stage. Almost before you can uh, focus your eyes, the curtain closes again. You know what you saw, but you wish you had been able to get a better glimpse. That's Daniel chapter 10. It's a peek behind the curtain of the unseen spiritual realm that's directly related to the activity in the world. So let's look at Daniel chapter 10. Now in organizing this material, I suggest to you uh, four words. Uh, They all begin with the letter P. Uh, First word is preoccupation. Preoccupation. Daniel's preoccupation is with the people of God and God's plan for them. Look at uh, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 10. He says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belshazzar. It's the same Daniel. Its message was true. It concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. Now, it's helpful here uh, to provide you with a little backdrop to the timing of this vision that Daniel is about to see. The fact that it mentions here that it's the third year of Cyrus, it sets it all up for us. Because we're told in the, in the book of Ezra, which covers the history of the return from captivity of these people who were in Babylon, that it was in the first year of Cyrus that the Jewish captives were free to return to their homeland and to begin to rebuild the city and the temple. And Daniel's great anticipation of the return of God's people to their homeland had been fulfilled. The great desire of his heart was the people would return to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and everything would be as it used to be. Because they had lost their song, it tells us in Psalm 137, while they were in a foreign land, but now they're returning home. They could sing again. All would be good. Life would get back to normal. We get that, don't we? 
We want things the way they used to be. <laughs> Let's get back to normal. I don't like the phrase new normal. It bugs me. You probably used it. Now you're really going to use it. So the people here, they were free to leave the foreign land of Babylon where they spent the last 70 years in captivity and returned home. Now we're told that uh, around 42,000 people, maybe up to 50,000 people, but we'll go with 42,000 people returned from captivity to Jerusalem. Now you might think that's a lot of people. But in actuality, it's a relatively small number in comparison to the number of people, uh, member of Jews in Babylon. It's been estimated that as many as million people, if not more, were living in Babylon during this captivity as they gave birth to other kids and so on and so forth. And, and, and so it's only really a drop in the bucket that just 42,000 Jews went back home. And for Daniel, who had a healthy preoccupation with the wealth, welfare of his people, this had to be a little disappointing. And add to that, this is the third year of Cyrus's reign. So two years later, since they began the rebuilding of the temple. And what was going on with the building project that they started two years ago? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The people stopped building the house of the Lord. They didn't even finish what they started. And likely Daniel had heard about the halting of the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. And I believe it gives more context to what we see of Daniel's response here in verse 2. Uh, verse 2, we switch to the first person. He says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Now, as an aside, you might wonder why Daniel didn't return. And some have suggested that it was due to his age, that it'd be better uh, that he did not make the trip back, but I don't think that's it. I don't think it had anything to do with his age. Daniel was no slacker. Not even as he was pushing 90 years, old, 90 years old. His age didn't stop him from serving all along the way. We've seen this. He wasn't about to coast to the finish line. That was not Daniel. I think it's the exact opposite. I, I believe that he stuck around here and didn't go back because he felt he still had a job to do uh, in, in Babylon. That he's going to faithfully carry out his responsibilities to the king for how many years that, that, that would be. And, and I think too, and this is really only a guess, but I think also he's remaining in Babylon so he could motivate his people who are still in Babylon to return to Jerusalem. I'm going to keep giving him a nudge. Go back there to Jerusalem. So I'm going to stay here and motivate them. It's a guess. Well, Daniel is in deep sadness trying to discern what this all means to the people of God. And so for three weeks, it says he stays away from choice food or more literally pleasant food. <laughs> he ate just not the good stuff. He didn't drink any wine. He didn't put on any lotions, which likely would be for the purpose of smelling good and, and maybe even protecting your skin from the sun. We don't really know. But in other words, I think what's going on here is that Daniel didn't really get out much in these three weeks. He didn't socialize. He didn't pretend to be joyful. He's living in a time of sorrow. And so he fasts. And he's not fasting to solicit God's favor. He's not trying to impress anyone. His heart 
was preoccupied on God's people and God's plan for them. He had a preoccupied, concerned heart. And it drove him to fasting and praying and mourning. Now, it's in this setting that God lets him in, uh, lets him know that there is a great war going on, verse 1. A great war going on, a great conflict. And we're going to see what that's all about in a moment. But all this drives Daniel to prayer. Not this arrow prayer, but intense, earnest praying. He's looking for an answer to what it all means. And so for three weeks, he's in deep mourning toward heaven. He's pouring out his heart to God. An earnest praying. Has it been a while since you've done that? Well, he prays and fasts for three weeks, directs it to heaven, and heaven is silent for three weeks. He hears nothing from God. Now, Daniel isn't used to that. Remember from last week, the speedy answer to his prayer? The answer came while he was praying, remember? This time, nothing. Crickets. Aren't there times that you wonder if your prayers only go as far as the ceiling. A journalist assigned to the Jerusalem Bureau was in his apartment that overlooked the Wailing Wall. And every day when she looked out at the Wailing Wall, she saw an old Jewish man praying vigorously. And so the the journalist goes down and introduces herself to the old man, and she asks him, you come here every day to the wall, How long have you done that and what are you praying for? The old man replies, yeah, I've come here to pray every day for 25 years. In the morning I pray for world peace and then for the brotherhood of man. I go home, I have a cup of tea, and then I come back and pray for the eradication of all illnesses and disease from the earth. Well, the journalist is absolutely amazed and she asks, well, how does it make you feel to come here every day for 25 years and pray for these things. The old man looks at her sadly and says, like I'm talking to a wall. (laughs) I'm talking to a wall. Know the feeling? Daniel hears nothing for three weeks. Now for you, it may not be just three weeks, but three years. Maybe three decades. You know, I'm praying for this very specific thing. I'm 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 not getting an answer to this. At least not the answer I would expect. But we do not know what is going on behind the scenes. Abraham Kuyper put it this way. He said, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there. That's where the real conflict is engaged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. And Daniel is about to see that what was happening on the ground was connected to the conflict in the heavenly realms. We come to our second word this morning, presence. Presence. Look at me at verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before him was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. And so after three weeks of mourning 
seeing that Daniel is physically, I believe, standing on the bank of the Tigris River, and here comes heaven. See, I've called this section presence because this figure grabbed Daniel's attention. It says, I looked up and there before me was an exclamation term. He sees this pure and righteous figure of royal standing appearing before him. His body, it says in verse 6, was like chrysolite, or chrysolite meaning some beautiful jewel. His face like lightning, which is kind of a brilliance that flashed from his countenance. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now, this has to be all shocking to Daniel. The last three weeks, here you are, you're off by yourself. You're not mingling with others. And then for the first time out, perhaps with just a few other guys... There you're standing in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, this incredible creature like this appears. Well, what did Daniel see here? Well, at face value, it sounds a lot like what John saw in Revelation chapter 1 of the living Christ in all his glory, post-resurrection. So is this a, a Christophany, which is a big word that just means a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? And there are certainly other places in the Old Testament where the second person of the triune God appears, often referred to as an angel of the Lord. There's a case you might recall back in chapter 7. Daniel saw the Ancient of Days on the throne, remember? And there appeared to Daniel one like the Son of Man. Well... Others won't commit to it being the pre-incarnate Christ, but rather see it as some unnamed angelic being. But one thing is for sure, this presence was terrorizing. So terrorizing that the guys with him, they took, they took off. They were out of there. They didn't even see the figure. They just knew something of the sound of it all here. Something, I, I, this isn't good. I'm, I'm gone. And they left. And verse 8 says, so David says, I was left all alone. Gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. And so there's this presence of this being was so overwhelming to him, he couldn't handle it. And this is why I believe it's the presence of God in the person of Jesus, even though Daniel probably couldn't get his mind around that. Because any time the glory of God invades earth like this, the reaction is awe. And quite honestly, this is what troubles me about those who claim to have gone to heaven and back and then write about it. They don't speak of those encounters as being awestruck. It's kind of God is the grandfather and the angels are up there playing with children and we're hearing this beautiful music. No, 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 this doesn't seem to be the first response of those in Scripture who are confronted with the majestic holiness of God. It is awe. Daniel was awestruck. I think we need to think on this. See, when confronted with the glorious presence of God, what's an appropriate response? Now, this can swing in the direction of two extremes. 
We can approach God with unhealthy, unhealthy fear of what he might do to us, that God's just out to get us. And then if that's the truth, then we're not really going to come into his presence at all. We're not desiring to go to him at all with anything. He's going to just whack me. Okay, that's one extreme. Well, to swing to the other side of the spectrum would be to come to him with a low view of him. It's kind of bring God down to our level. Hey, pal. Hey, buddy. What a friend we have in Jesus is true, but so is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. And I think an application of this to our lives is not to rush to God without any thought of the one we are addressing. Do you come to the Lord with thoughts of his majesty? Do I? Do we come to him in awe of his presence? This vision here drains Daniel. He's seen God and the person of Christ and he is rattled. He is blown away. And what he's about to hear is going to be even more mind-boggling. Come to our third word this morning, persistence. Persistence. As we come to verse 10, Daniel is no longer standing, but as the end of verse 9 informs us, he's now flat on his face with a mouthful of dirt. And he is out cold. And so verse 10 tells us, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. Now, I believe that the one who touches Daniel here in verse 10 is different than the figure in verse 5. Several reasons for that, I'm not going to give you that. But that's where I land with this. That the pre-incarnate Christ disappears and is replaced by some unnamed angelic being. I think that once we get to verse 10, it's no longer a vision really, but literally and physically, Daniel was touched by an angel. And when the angel touched Daniel, verse 10 says, it set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he, the angel said, verse 11, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, we've seen that before, Meaning, Daniel, you who are greatly loved, you're precious to me. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up. If I have now been sent to you, then it says, and when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Continues. Verse 12. Angel says, do not be afraid, Daniel. I'm thinking, well, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) I've just seen a vision of some figure that resembles nothing or, or, or no one that I've ever seen before. Of course I'm going to be afraid. And these words would, would not be relevant unless Daniel is in fact fearful, and he is. All right, continue verse 12. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day, as the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God. He's referring back to verses 2 and 3. His morning, his fasting, his praying. From the very first day, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. He's saying, Daniel, don't think that God isn't interested. From the very first day, you were hurt. 21 days, he heard nothing. But church, silence doesn't mean disinterested. God heard his prayer. Daniel's reassured that God had sent an answer to his prayer with this angel. And you go, but why the delay? I mean, how far is it from up there in heaven to down here on earth? Does it really take that long? And really, can't angels just go a little quicker than some delivery truck? 
You know, I'm going to be there. What took so long? It's been three weeks. What's up with that? Well, the angel gives an explanation for the delay. And this really, if this was a song, this would be the crescendo right here. Verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. It's a loaded verse. Who's this prince of Persia? Well, what we do know is that Persia uh, was the ruling kingdom at that time. And Cyrus was the human king who ruled. The prince here is not speaking of King Cyrus. Can't be. This prince is no human being. For no mortal could have fought off a holy angel delivering an answer to prayer. The prince is a fallen angel. A demon who attempted to thwart God's purposes. And his number one objective was to hinder the working of God regarding God's people. There are indeed fallen evil angels who do all that they can to stop God's future redemptive plan for Israel. There is. And I don't think we give this enough thought even as it applies to us. There is much more to the stuff going on in this world, church, than meets the eye. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. Scripture is clear that if we could see the invisible, we would be amazed at the forces of evil behind the scenes. And while we're getting all worked up, and I understand it, I do too, and then maybe there's a right place for that. But while we get all worked up with the human earthly powers and all that's going on, listen, behind these earthly powers and all evil are these forces. And these forces want to do what they can to stop the kingdom of God from advancing. You better believe it. At EBC and every other evangelical church, they're continually opposing the kingdom of God. And this chapter is a reminder that as we're piddling around with petty things, there's this major conflict going on in the unseen world. As we go through the motions of churchianity, there are significant things going on worth fighting for. And while we fret over the little things of life, there is this major conflict going on in the unseen world. I'm not suggesting there is to be a preoccupation with that, but there needs to be an awareness of that. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 tells us against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And if we lose sight of the true battle going on, we're going to spend far too much energy using worldly weapons to wage war against human powers and authorities. What is our weapon of choice? Prayer. Prayer. More than that. Persistence in prayer. I I prayed for this for three weeks straight and every day for three weeks, nothing's changed. Forget it. Prayed for this for a couple of months, now done. We need to remember, when we pray, according to this verse, I think other places support it. There are spiritual forces at work. 
I mean, have you thought about that lately? That there might be a delay in an answer because there's conflict going on behind the scenes? And I don't know how, how, how angels fight each other. My mind just goes all wacky places with that. I don't know. It's a WWE kind of stuff, you know? They pin someone to the ground, jump off this rope, and I don't know. Someone after service, first service said, no, no, it's MMA, not WWE. Okay. Probably not any of these things that we think of. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus says in Luke 18, we need to pray and not give up. Are you fighting for your marriage right now and it seems that the only spiritual weapon you have is prayer? Persist in that. You might be struggling to to, to keep growing in, in a certain area in your life. Persist in prayer. You may be tired of praying for the same thing over and over again. You say, I'm done with this. No, 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 no. Persist in prayer. Read Luke 18. All right, I need to get to, I'm running out of time. I need to get to my final word here, perseverance. Perseverance. Ties into this, but verse 15 tells us that once again, Daniel falls to the ground. This time, he can't even speak. This whole matter of unseen forces, it leaves him speechless. I mean, he's never heard anything like this in 80 years. And I'm not sure how long his mouth is slammed shut, but we're told in verse 16 he's touched by an angel again, probably a different angel, and this angel touches his lips, and he could talk again. And Daniel doesn't waste any time here. He talks. And he says in the middle of verse 16, look what he says, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. And it says in verse 18, he touched, he is touched again, and he's given strength. Daniel knows what it's like from personal experience to be strengthened by something outside of him. Do you? But you say, I got this all figured out. I can do it on my own. There's really no weakness here. I got this. No, no, no. In your life right now, where do you need the touch of God for some strength? You can say, I just, I'm weak here. Can you admit it? Then you're ready to get his strength. Can you admit that you're not strong enough to make it through that hardship or that, through that personal loss, that ongoing temptation? Will you be honest enough to say, I cannot make it without God's help? I'll fall flat on my face. As you're back against the wall. Stories told of football quarterback John Elway of Denver Broncos years ago. That after a crushing blow that knocked Elway onto the field on his back for several minutes during a game, the trainer asked him, do you know where you are? And Elway should have answered, yes, I am in a football game in Mile High Stadium. But Elway instead responded, yeah, it's 4th and 17. (laughs) He knew exactly where he was. He had an awareness of what he needed to do. Get me back in the game. Let's finish the game. You know, Daniel here understands it's 4th and long. I need to get back in the game. 
He's drained. He's weary. He's feeling overwhelmed. He needed to persevere. And the angel reassures Daniel here not to be afraid in verse 19. He says, oh man, highly esteemed peace. Now get this. Be strong now. Be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak my Lord, since you have given me strength. And Daniel is now ready for what's to come in chapters 11 and 12. But here's the application. I don't want us to miss this. Well, there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes. While the angels are are up there battling it. We we don't have to get preoccupied in all that stuff. What's our call? Be strong. Continue to do God's work. That's why I've chosen the word perseverance here. Here I believe is the bottom line for us this morning by way of application. God can strengthen you to endure while you wait for God to eliminate all evil in the world. God can strengthen you to endure while you wait for God to eliminate all evil in the world. So where in your life presently do you need to persevere? That you know It will take God's strength to not give up and to carry on. And you're calling out to him for it. I told a story last Sunday of Helen Rosevere, who was a a Christian missionary doctor who served the Lord with worldwide evangelization uh, crusade in the Congo for 20 years, 1953 to 1973. In the early 60s, Many missionaries were captured by local terrorists and they included Helen who was incarcerated for five months in 1964. During that time, she endured beatings and rapes. She had to persevere and rely on God's strength to keep going. Well, a few years ago, Pastor Alistair Begg tells a story that, and he knew Helen from way back when he was a young kid. He, he was preaching in Northern Ireland, and he went to visit her in the nursing home where she was now staying. That time, she was 90 years old. She had a stroke, and she was paralyzed all down her left side. And Alistair Begg relates, as, as, they, as they sat together, she never said one single word the whole time. He had to do all the talking. He then read from the Bible, and she listened on as he read, still not saying anything. And then they held hands as they prayed together. And Alistair Begg says, uh, as he went to leave, one of the nurses who was caring for her was in the room and said to her, Helen, Helen, do you have anything you want to say to Alistair before he leaves? Nothing. She didn't say anything. Come on now, Helen. Do you have something that that you can say to Alistair? Helen then moved her head ever so slightly. And and, and in a whisper, in a whisper, she said four words. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Is that not the lesson here? Church, EBC, wherever you are right now, keep on 
keeping on. Don't give up. Let's pray. The fact that as we, in some regard, are really clueless about all that's going on in the unseen worlds. Your word's pretty clear not to get all wrapped up in that and preoccupied with it, just to be aware that it's going on and remember what our battle is against. And we know that at the end, the victory is, is, is uh, certain. There's no question about that. The demons, the, the evil that's going on, there are limits to what they can do. All set up by God. And so God, we're so thankful that you're on our side. And that we can be on your side. And that we can rest confidently that as we go about our days, Nothing can come to us that, must, that won't first pass through your hands. So may we live confident for, confidently for you. May we persevere, keep on keeping on in a world that tries to knock us down and keep us on the ground. And by your grace and the strength that you give us, we can do it. In Jesus' name, amen.